Okay, good morning everyone. Feel free to help yourself to uh, coffee. Continuing our study of Amuna, and as always, we're grateful to our anonymous sponsors. Sponsored the Amuna series in memory of Shendel Gittel Bas Chaim Shol. So Neshama should have an Aliyah. We're in the middle of page Mem Hey. We've been plowing through the Nesiva Shol, the Slana Marebbe's introduction to the uh, concept of Amuna, and he has been developing this uh, notion that Amuna is not just another one of the mitzvos. One of the things, the ideas that he's emphasized strongly is that Amunah is not among the checklist of mitzvahs I have to do. I have to hear the shofar and take the live and sit in the sukkah and light the Shabbos candles and put on the tefillin and do that. Oh yeah, also I have to believe in Hashem. Amunah is fundamental and foundational. It is the very air that we breathe. It is the essence and informs all of our lives. And with this he's been discussing that machlok is between the Rambam and others. Do you count Anochi Hashem Elokech as a mitzvah? Do you not count it as a mitzvah? And only when one recognizes that they're only truly alive, they're only really living, if they see Hashem in their life, if they feel His presence in their life, only then do the other mitzvahs take on meaning. Right? If, if, if you're doing all the external motions, but your life is not informed and inspired and driven by the idea that Hashem is a guiding force and a guiding hand, that what happens is not coincidental, it's not random, it's not chance, that in order to succeed we need to reach out to him, we need his help, his support, then all the other things are just empty motions, they're just empty actions. You know, a marriage grows stale when, even though the partners are continuing to go through the motions of giving a card and an anniversary, of meeting each other's needs, taking out the garbage, making dinner, doing the mutual responsibilities, but if underlying the marriage is not the essential feeling of love, of loyalty, of commitment, of, of, a, of a sense of a bond, then everything else can't carry the day. So the same thing is true here. We have Tariyag Mitzvahs, there are 613 expectations Hashem has of us. They enable our relationship with Him and they enhance our very lives ourselves. But underlying it, the foundation of all of it, is the uh, understanding that we interpret our entire lives. World, global events, personal things that happen to us, that everything in our lives is interpreted through the prism of through the prism of emuna. So, in the middle of page memhe, and according to this, the idea of emuna is not just to believe that um, Hashem has a power and He runs the world. But God created a world and He set it in motion. And now, separate, independent from the world is God. So we have two things operating simultaneously. We have the Almighty God and the world that He set in motion. It's a mistaken notion to believe that there are two things operating in parallel. But rather, God, Yisbarach Shemo, is above everything, under everything, in everything... Hashem is everything. There is nothing else but Him. You remember last week we gave the metaphor of that game. What's the online game? I couldn't remember it during the class. Minecraft. Or these online games. People build a world and they build a character and the character operates within the world. It's absurd to think that the world is operating and the character is animated and has a life while the player has turned his computer off. If the computer is off, if the iPad is off, the game is not continuing. The character is not alive. The entire essence, the character's existence, the game operating, 
is all only at the will, the continued will, the continued interaction of the operator of the game. And the same is true with the world. Shem didn't create a world, he didn't create the natural order, set it all in motion and say, I'm doing my thing, you do your thing, good luck everybody. Hashem is the operator of the world. The world, our existence, only happens because Hashem is involved with, aware of, supervising, has providence over everything. Ve'ein od milvado. There's that phrase again. Ve'ein od milvado. The briskarov's segula phrase. When you start to feel angst, and you start to feel stressed, and you start to feel worry, and you start to feel nervousness, you just repeat the mantra. Jewish meditation. Ein od milvado. There's nothing but him. You're sitting in the doctor's office. You're waiting to get back there. You're stuck in traffic. You're going to be late to the critical appointment. You're nervous. What's going to be with this, that, the other thing? Ein od milvado. There is nothing in the world but him. It's not, it feels like it's really all about the incoming president and what's going to happen with the thing and the UN and the Paris conference. It feels like it's about the doctor and the biopsy and the result. It feels like it's about the traffic and I'm going to be late and how's this going to work out and what's going to be. It feels like it's about whatever it is. And that's when we remind ourselves, this is what it means to live with Amuna, Ein od milvado. Those things do matter, but they're all pawns the great chess, chess master in the sky. There's nothing that has an independent strength, an independent ability, who is not sustained by, who is not guided by the Almighty. Now true, we have Bechira Chavshis, and this has to be reconciled. Yes, we have free will. Free will is the bread and butter of the world. Without free will, there'd be no purpose to life. Without free will, there'd be no meaning in our existence. Our whole existence only finds meaning because we have choices. And we make the right choices and they get certain results. And we make the wrong choices and there's certain accountability. A relationship between two people would mean nothing if they were pre-programmed robots. What gives the relationship meaning, what yields that feeling of intimacy, of closeness, or the feeling of distance and of discord are the result of the choices that we make. So this world only has meaning and value because of free will. So we have to reconcile, how do you have free will if really everything is guided from above? And that's an important topic, but not for now. For now, it's the notion, it's the reminder that everything that is, was, and will be is only at the will of the Almighty. He is operating the game. And the moment he decides to take a break from the game, to shut down the game, to erase our character from the game, is the moment our game is over. When you look at the world, we are not only to conclude, wow, it's magnificent. Everyone saw on Facebook, Israel must have had some great sunset yesterday. So every Israeli took a picture of it and shared it with the whole family and with the world. So it's not just that you see the incredible orange and purple and red and the hues of the rainbow in the sky, this magnificent sunset, and you say, wow. There's a creator of the universe. There's an artist in the sky. That's unbelievable. It's not just that, well, God's responsible for the Grand Canyon or the magnificent sunrise or sunset or whatever view I'm, or whatever thing I'm seeing in nature. It's that this moment is a reminder to me that even in the ordinary sunset, even in the ordinary course of my day, even in the ordinary operation of my kidneys and my lungs and my stomach and my digestive system, even in the ordinary operation of life, that's also God. God's presence, God's fingerprints are on everything around us. Continuously, contiguously. If you would stop for a moment, we would cease. 
Hamachadesh betivo b'choyom tamid. We are only here because God continues to will our existence. We've quoted this Balatanya numerous times. As the Balatanya says, if you have an imagination, if you picture a certain thing, it exists in your imagination. The moment you stop picturing it, it's gone. We are God's imagination. Our existence is at the will, the matrix. What we live in, this physical world that we think is real and permanent, is an illusion. It's all part of God's imagination. Within his imagination, he gave our character free will. Right? That's the brilliance of a game. I don't know if there's any computer games designed like that. Okay. That you get to create a world and you operate the world, but the characters also have free will. You can suspend their free will, you can supersede their free will, but the characters have free will against your operating the world. We have to come up with a new online game. But that's this world. That is this world. Our continued existence is only with the consent, the interest, the will of the Almighty. We are all nullified. We're null and void. We are garnished. We are nothing without the will, the continued will of the Almighty. We spoke about uh, earlier this morning in the Sharon Betfilah Shir, and I hate to repeat it back to back, but it's such a great insight that I have to. Rav Pincus says, you know, davening is an exercise in humility. The danger and the risk of our daily lives, the fact that God is hidden, He's concealed, He's invisible, means that we are vulnerable to conclude that everything in our lives is really the result of us. My hard work, my skills, my talents, my initiative, my accomplishments, my achievements. At its core, what davening is, it's an anchor. Three times a day we stop, we interrupt our lives, and we remember that if I'm going to have success or if I had success, I'm not independent, it's not all about me, but I rely on, I depend on, I turn to, I'm grateful for Kodesh Baruch Hu in my life. So you wake up in the morning with a sense of optimism and enthusiasm, a sense of vigor and renewed strength, and you say, I'm going to conquer the day. I'm going to kill it in the business meeting or kill it at the gym or kill it with my to-do list or kill it with whatever I have to do, and it's going to be me. I'm going to conquer the day. So we say, no, wait, stop. Davin Shacharis. And remember, Whatever I'm about to engage in, whatever business meeting, whatever interaction, whatever personal, it's all, Hashem, I need your help. I have to take the initiative. You set up a world in which if I don't take the initiative, I can't make a withdrawal from your bank account of bracha. Right? The ATM card from Hashem's bank account of bracha is a human initiative. That's what you need to do to access the bracha. It doesn't always correlate. You show a lot of initiative here, and then the bracha comes in over here. But you need to do the initiative in order to access. It's the ATM card to make the withdrawal. So Davin in the morning says, you have a lot of enthusiasm and optimism. You're ready to conquer the day. That's fantastic. Awesome. Don't forget that you are the junior partner in this relationship. That the senior partner of your enterprise is the Almighty, and you cannot succeed without the senior partner's input. He needs you to take the initiative, but you need him without which you couldn't have success. Then you're in the middle of your day. Chaos and hustle and bustle. You're wheeling and dealing. You're doing a million things and you say, wow, I'm accomplishing, I'm achieving. I've got this business. Whatever it is. Mincha. Time for mincha. Don't forget. Hashem, I need you. And then the end of your day. The sun sets, it's dark. You're retiring from your day. The sun sets on your day. You're reflecting on your day. Boy, I killed it today. Wow, look at what I accomplished. Look at what I achieved. Look what happened. Look what went right. Davin Maev. As you reflect on the day, remember 
who you needed, what couldn't have happened without him. Davening is an exercise in humility. And Rav Pincus writes there in Sharon Betfila, and again, I hate to repeat it, but I have to. I don't have to, but I have to. says, what is humility? We have a false sense of humility. We think that humility is, someone says to you, you know, you're really a talented artist, and you say, yeah, I'm not so talented. You know, you're, you're very bright. Yeah, I'm pretty stupid. I'm really dumb. You just don't know. You know, you're really strong. Ah, I'm very weak. I'm very weak. Not only is that a counterfeit, inauthentic, false humility, that humility is an affront to the Ribbon Shalom. Hashem gave you talents and skills, and you think that humility demands that you deny that you have them? That's not humility. That's ridiculous. What's humility, says Rapinkus, is to realize that whatever gifts, whatever talents, whatever skills, they are on loan. They're not part of your permanent collection. You might say, you know what? I'm an ani. I'm a poor, impoverished person. I'm unworthy. I'm not entitled to the gifts God has given me. And maybe that's the metaphor. God is the wealthy philanthropist. I am the poor, indigent person. And God has generously and graciously and kindly bestowed upon me these gifts and talents as an act of tzedakah. But says Pincus, that's not an accurate metaphor. Why? Because the poor person who has earned the generosity of the philanthropist acquires those resources. They're no longer poor. They're now rich. Or they now have money. They can invest it. They can make a return on it. They can safeguard it. They now have money. It's part of their permanent collection. They've acquired it. That's not the accurate, that's not the accurate metaphor. Says Rapinkis, you want to know what the accurate metaphor of humility is? It's a mirror. We are a mirror. A mirror is a piece of glass. Metal. It's, it's gornish. It's nothing. But a mirror reflects whatever is being portrayed into it. Now if the mirror could speak and the mirror would say, look at me. Somebody in front of the mirror is super handsome. So the mirror is going to say, I'm... I'm magnificently handsome. Someone, a tzaddik, a righteous person who has a glow of righteousness is in front of the mirror. The mirror says, look at me. I'm a tzaddik. Honor me at the dinner. Give me mafter yona. I'm a tzaddik, says the mirror. You'd say, mirror, you fool. Not only do you not inherently or intrinsically have those qualities, you're just a reflection of whatever's portrayed into you. Not only, but you don't acquire what's portrayed into you. It's not embedded in you. It's not imprinted on you. What's reflected to you, the mirror, if he or she or it would walk away, what would you be left with? Nothing. Empty. Nothing. So we are a mirror. Hashem, in fact, reflects His talents and gifts on us. Brilliance, memory, good looks, charm, charisma, artistic ability, athleticism, all kinds of skills and talents. They are reflected from Him into us. But they're never acquired by us. They are permanently on loan. They're never owned by us. And they could disappear in a moment. In a moment. A few weeks ago, I officiated a funeral. And after that, I went to visit someone in our community who I understood had Alzheimer's dementia and was rapidly declining. I hadn't seen him in shul. I went to go visit him. That visit to me was much more tragic than the funeral. I'm not saying to the family of the funeral, but there was an older person who had passed away. The visit was more tragic than the funeral. They were... They were they were broken luchos. This is a person I saw in shul every morning, every afternoon for the last 16 years, 17 years. The relationship with came to class as my lunch and learn. I sat in front of him and he asked me 10 times, who are you? Why are you here? What's, what, what is this? What, who told you to come? It broke my heart. And it breaks the heart. My heart goes out to people who take care of loved ones who go through this. It's, it's unimaginable to be physically healthy, but to be absent, it's just unimaginable. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
for whatever reason, and we can't understand it, and it's not our topic, but th- that memory is no longer being reflected in the mirror. It's gone. So a brilliant person with all the money in the world, but if HaKadosh Baruch Hu withdraws the capacity to remember what you had for breakfast, to remember who your own family members are, then he's withdrawn that capacity. It's gone. And every day that we can wake up and remember who our children and who our spouse, every day that we can remember what we had for breakfast, every day that we can remember is a gift that's not permanent. It's on loan. Our lives are so fragile and we are so vulnerable. And that's tefillah. It's an exercise in humility. It's a reminder, whatever you have, whatever you think you've acquired, it's on loan. It could disappear. Be grateful for it. Say thank you for it. Ask for more of it. Never take it for granted. Keep coming back. And that's what the Rebbe is saying here, the Slanam Rebbe. Emuna is the understanding that Hashem is animating my whole life. If I remembered what I had for breakfast, it's not my neurons, it's not my brain power, it's not my genetic DNA, it's not the natural world. It's because Hashem has gifted me the continued gift of memory. And it's a gift. And the gift can be withdrawn any moment. He is Mechaya. He is Mahava. He sustains. He empowers. He enables. And the moment he wants to withdraw, the moment he decides it's time, it would be over. I just posted on the Amuna WhatsApp. So you either haven't read it or you're not on the group, so it doesn't matter. But so I'll tell you, the, the Yaakov Avinu, when he gives the brachas to his children in this week's parsha, and he ends Yosef's bracha, and he tells them, Yosef, I'm giving you an extra portion. I'm giving you Shechem. And why can I give you Shechem? Because I conquered Shechem, says Yaakov. And how did I conquer Shechem? Becharbi uvekashti, with my sword and with my bow. And you read the parsha and you say, what? Yaakov conquered Shechem? Yeah. Who conquered Shechem? Shimon and Levi. Shimon and Levi were the ones who conquered Shechem. Why is Yaakov taking the credit? And where do we see Yaakov using a sword and a bow? So Rashi there says, that the sword and the bow represent Yaakov's prayers. Right? This I posted earlier in the week, that the, uh, the insight that... Where did I see this insight? Did I post where I saw this insight? The Briskorov. The Briskorov says, and the Meshach Chochmah has a similar idea, that what Yaakov was saying to Shimon and Levi was, you showed the initiative. You were the ones at the front line of the battle. You were the ones who engaged Shem. But I was in the background davening. And without my davening and invoking Hashem's support and enabling it to happen, it wouldn't happen. So we have endless admiration and appreciation for those who are on the front lines and the initiative and the risk. You know, Yaakov davened and the success couldn't happen without him, but Yaakov was not exactly at risk. He was not on the front lines. We have endless admiration and appreciation of those who are on the front lines. But our responsibility to them is like Yaakov, to be in the background exerting our charbi and kashti. And what the Briskorov says is, why is prayer compared to a bow? A sword, I understand. The sword pierces, it penetrates. Our tefillos can pierce and penetrate the heavens. But why is davening compared to a bow? So here's what the Briskorov says, because a bow, the tighter you pull it towards you, the farther, the straighter it goes. The closer you hold it towards you, the stronger, the tighter you pull it, the further and the straighter it goes. The more kavana you have, the more sincere, the tighter and closer it is to you, your prayer, the more it's from your heart, the closer you pull it to your heart, the farther and the straighter it will go. The Katzke Rebbe has the same word, by the way. It says, biyad That children are like arrows in the hand of the archer. There's a Pasuk, I think, in Mishlei. So the Katzke Rebbe says, Why is child rearing compared to an archer with a bow and arrow. And the Kutzker says the same thing. The closer you pull your children to you, 
the further, the straighter they will go along the trajectory that you want them. They'll hit the target that you've set for them. So Yaakov Avinu says, My prayer is like a bow and arrow. But I saw this morning that the Rav, Rabbi Salavetrik, had a different insight. That's what I posted this morning. He says, Why is tefillah compared to charbi v'kashti? So the Rav says, you know, you could have two types of enemy. You could have hand-to-hand combat, the enemy who's right in front of you. And for that enemy, you need a sword. You take the sword and you fight off the enemy right in front of you. But then there's the enemy who's at a distance, who you're fighting from a distance. For that enemy, you need the bow, the bow and arrow, in order to be able to reach them. So he says, says the Rav, we have some challenges and conflicts and confrontations. We have daily issues that are right in front of us. We wake up in the morning and there are things we need to overcome today. And that's the type of tefillah that's about today. The tefillah of the moment. Hashem, X, Y, and Z are coming up. X, Y, and Z I'm going through right now. I need your help. That's the tefillah of the sword. It helps me combat what I'm going through right now. But says the Rav, don't neglect that tefillah also works like a bow. That our responsibility is to use prayer to also live with a sense of vision of what's not right in front of me, but what's coming up. To think about my children and who I want them to be. To think about what might happen in my life. To live with a sense of vision and to picture a week ahead, a month ahead, a year ahead, a decade ahead. To not only daven for today and ignore tomorrow, but to use the power of tefillah to daven for tomorrow, to use tefillah as a bow that could reach off in the distance. To anticipate what might come up in my life. To anticipate what challenges might arise and to daven with a sense of vision for myself, for my children, for my grandchildren as well. At the core of all of this is the sense that everything in my life is Hashem. If I'm going to remember what I had for breakfast this morning, it's because Hashem enabled my memory to remain intact. If I get from point A to point B in my car and there was no accident, the airbag didn't go off, my brakes didn't fail, nobody ran a red light, it's because Hashem willed, enabled me to get from point A to point B. Living with Amuna is not something on a checklist. Put on my tefillin, I dive in my shacharis, I took my lulav, I did my thing, check, 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 biker cholam, check, stuck a check, boom, paid the shiva call, check. Oh, Amuna, did I at any point today talk about Hashem? Oh, Amuna, check. No, it's everything is animated by Amuna. I successfully drove my car. I successfully remembered what I had for breakfast. I walked out of a business meeting and I was successful. I worked out and I didn't tear anything and not limping away and I can still walk straight. It's Amuna. <laughs> Amuna is not another thing. It is everything. When a person purifies themselves, they can feel, they can sense a feeling of Hashem in everything. You know, the notion that we have, Pasuk we say, we talk about God's kindness in the morning, and His amuna at night. Why do we talk about kindness in the morning and Amuna at night? Because, Amun, uh, because kindness, you wake up in the morning, the sun is up. It illuminates the world. I can see. So I can see the way God's operating. I see the kindness. I have a sense of clarity. But the cloak of darkness of night, I can't see anything. I don't understand anything. What then? I need to kick in my sense of Amuna. It's not a coincidence. Avram gave a shacharis. Avram lived with a sense of clarity. He introduced the world, or he promoted in the world, ethical monotheism. Avram had the clarity of the world. He introduced the Shacharis. Yitzchak's life is characterized by Mincha. 
And Yaakov's life is Marav. Yaakov's life is Marav. Yechavad likes to say, why did Yaakov institute Marav? Because if it was a choice between giving 12 kids a bath and putting them to bed and going to Davin Marav, he went to go Davin Marav. So Yaakov instituted Marav. So Yaakov instituted Marav. You don't know the, oh, the Shiftei Ka bathed themselves. They didn't need anyone to put them to bed. So Yaakov instituted Marav. Why? Because Yaakov's life, Yaakov is running from Esav. Yaakov's life is filled with deception. Yaakov has to sustain and endure love on. Yaakov has to take the, what happens, the trick with the wives. Yaakov has to live with missing Yosef for 22 years. Yaakov has to live through the capture of Dina. Yaakov's life is characterized by the cloak of darkness, by not being able to see, by not being able to understand. And yet he lives with the Amuna. In Lavangarti Vitarik Mitzvah Shamarti. He never fails, he's never compromised, and therefore he introduces us to Marv. So Amunas Chabalelos says the Slanam Rebbe, Amun is not just about when you have clarity. Oh, look at that, it all worked out perfectly. It's true that I was in the traffic, but that made me delayed, so that I didn't think, so that I didn't... Oh, wow. There's someone in our shul who, yes, last Friday, was flying from Israel through New York back here, and in New York, they were de-icing on the runway, and it took 20 minutes extra. And it's frustrating, you're sitting on the plane, it's Arab Shabbos, you just landed from Israel, a long trip, you're desperate to get home to your wife and children, you're sitting on the runway, they're de-icing, you're going crazy out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Well, he landed in Fort Lauderdale Airport, ah. in Terminal 2, mm-hmm. and if he had not been on the plane de-icing for the 20 minutes, he would have been at the baggage claim exactly at the moment mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. gunmen opened fire. Mm-hmm. Would he have been shot? Would he have been a casualty? Who knows? Mm. But he's able to look back and lahagid baboker chastecha. Wow, the chesed of Hashem. Lahagid baboker chastecha. Baruch Hashem for the frigid cold in New York, for the ice on the window of the plane. Baruch Hashem for the twenty-minute delay. Lahagid baboker chastecha. But you know, there are family members whose loved ones did not walk out of the airport, who now are challenged. That's when emunoscha balelos. That's when it's easy to have Amuna during the Lahagid Baboker Chastecha. I don't remember if I shared, but I met, Yechavad and I met with Rav Shalom Arush, the author of The Garden of Amuna and Garden of Peace, and the Breslov Rav, who wrote all those books. I was into those books one summer and working on Amuna, and we were in Israel and went to meet with him. Did I tell you the story about on the way to meet with him, the guest? <laughs> Ever tell you that story? I was working on Amuna and reading those books, and we're going to meet with him, and our car was out of gas really oh. running out of gas. Mm-hmm. The light's on and we're pushing it, driving there and Yechevet's saying, you got to stop and get gas. We're going to be late. We have this appointment. There's a big rabbit. You got to get gas. I said, Yechevet, if Hashem wants us to be able to get there and back, we'll be able to get there and back, no problem. The gas will expand. Yechevet said, oh, are you an idiot? Hashem wants you to look at the gas thing and see if there's a light on and don't blame Hashem later. And we had this little, uh, we never argue, but you know, an argument on the way to him. And that was one of the questions we asked him. If you run out of gas and you're on the side of the road, is that because Hashem willed you to have no gas? Or is that because you're an idiot? And you didn't listen to your wife. You know what he answered? It tells you the extreme emuna of Breslov. He said, everything is Hashem. So said, how is it Hashem? You're an idiot who didn't listen to your wife. He said, because a normal person would see the light on and get gas, if you didn't get gas, it's because Hashem interrupted your being a normal person and you acted like an idiot. <laughs> okay? Anyway, so the beginning of the book, The Garden of Emuna. So did you make it? We made it, Hashem. <laughs> because I'm always right. But whatever, we'll leave that aside for a moment. But in the beginning of the book, The Garden of Emuna, 
he begins by telling a story of an airplane that's supposed to take off and somebody is uh, stuck in traffic and they missed the flight and turns out the flight, you know, the airplane went down and oh wow, you know, he thought he was going through a horrible thing. He missed his flight. His whole life was going to be interrupted. But look at the Amuna. Hashem was really protecting him. Psh, that's amazing. He missed the plane. So I asked Rav Arush, you know, that's a nice story, but that's not Amuna. It's easy. That's Lahagid Babogar Chastecha. What about the person who was waitlisted? What about the person who was on stand? What's it called? Standby. Standby. And he got that seat of the person who was stuck in traffic. And he went down with the plane. His family. He said, if you start the book with that story, that's emuna. That's emunascha balelos. So that's what the Salaam Rebbe here is saying. That it's easy, lahagid baboker chastecha. The de-icing of the plane, delayed 20 minutes, may have saved my life. Oh, Hashem, I'm in love with you. But what about when things don't go right? What about when the answer is not the way you wanted it to be? What about when Hashem says no, even though you opened up your heart? So that's when you have to realize, imo anochi betzara. Whatever reason Hashem has chosen for us to go through that painful experience is somehow best for us. We don't understand it, and no one should try to tell you they understand it. It is painful for us. We have something to learn from it. Somehow it is the best, even though it's painful. Painful things happen to good people. Bad things don't happen to good people, because nothing Hashem does is bad. But extraordinarily painful things happen to good people. And how are we supposed to interact then? That imo anochi bitsara. Even though for some strange reason we need to go through that pain, Hashem is with us in that moment. You know, when Yaakov Avinu, last week's Parsha, says, I'm a little nervous to go down to Mitzrayim, to leave my natural habitat, to leave the spiritual environment of Eretz Canaan, of Eretz Yisrael, to go down to Mitzrayim, which is saturated with impurity and decadence and, and corruption. And Hashem says, I'm going down with you. Have no fear, I'm going with you. And Rashi, the Mepharshim, all explain, Imo Anochi B'tzara, Shechinta B'golusa, Kaddish Baruch Hu comes with us into Golos. Hashem is with us in whatever painful experience. Sometimes, somewhat paradoxically, it's easier to feel Hashem sometimes in the painful experience than it is in the moments of bliss. Sometimes, Lahagid Baboker Chastecha, everything's growing great, everything's working out, and we actually forget Hashem. My parnas is flowing, my marriage is good, my nachas from my children, I'm killing it and everything in life. And we forget Hashem, even though those are the moments that there should be the clarity, the boker, the, the light of Hashem. Sometimes it's almost easier to feel and to see and to sense Hashem in the challenge. I think I mentioned last week, the korod fah, yisigua beina mitzarim, the pasuk and eicha, all those who were pursuing her caught her beina mitzarim, which, which our Bali Musar say, Kolrod Feha, if you're chasing Hashem, sometimes you can find Him Bein HaMetzarim during the three weeks. Sometimes it's when you're in the low place that you find Hashem even more than when you're in the high place. Because you, you feel you need Him. I, I think it's, it's, A, you need Him. There's no atheist in a foxhole. You're reaching out to Him. But it's more than just that you need Him. I think it's also that you're trying to find meaning in your suffering. And if you're going to abandon Him then, what you're essentially saying is that what you're going through is just chance. It's just random. It just has no meaning whatsoever. Whereas if at that moment you grab onto him, you can be comforted by a sense of saying, I don't understand it. I protest it. I object to it. It is painful, but somehow there's a reason for it. And that can give you the strength to endure. If you were to abandon God at that moment, and you're, just a, you're, just, you're, you're a piece of data, you're a statistic. You're just chance. It's just randomness. It's very painful. How do you get through life when you're just random? When what's happening to you is random? There's not a reason. There's not a purpose.
But if you can somehow recognize that there's a meaning and purpose, even though it's incredibly painful, it could empower. As it says, We're going to start reading Sefer Shemos next week. Even even when we are in a dark place, Hashem is with us. A Jew like this, whose emuna is pure, Every blade of grass, every falling leaf, every gust of wind, every successful car ride, every memory of breakfast. You feel and you sense Hashem in every interaction in life. Until you can fill, fulfill the charge of the righteous, which is that Amuna is how we cling to Him. Because the inner sense of faith, the inner remember, you know, is there anything nicer for a parent than when a child says, I saw something that reminds me of you? Something happened that reminds me of you? You know, we have a daughter in Israel this year in seminary. You get a text, something, you know, Abba, Mommy, I did this because I remember you always told me to. Or I saw something that reminded me of you. Or I was just thinking of you. I learned something that I remember you taught me. It's like a shmak of feeling. Mm-hmm. It's like a shmak feeling. So when throughout our day we say, Oh, Hashem, this reminds me of you. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of you. I did this because I remember you taught me to do this. I did this because I asked myself, What would you tell me? What would you want me to do? I did this because, Hashem, I want to give you nachas. Is there anything more geshmak for Hashem than when we say, oh, in the middle of the day, oh, Hashem, I just remembered. This reminds me of you. I did this because of you. I want to give you nachas. So our whole life should be animated, should be informed and guided by that sense. It's ma'anika la'adam. It nourishes us. That Hashem is with us at all times. And, and the more that you flex the amuna muscle, the stronger it becomes, then the more we cling to Hashem. And the more that when we need it, it's there. You see, if you never work on Amuna, if you never see Hashem, talk to Hashem, think about Hashem, thank Hashem, and now you're struck with a painful hardship, you don't have the tools. Your Amuna muscle, you've got this enormous weight to lift, a burden to carry, but your muscles are weak. But if you've been working out for a long time, and it comes all of a sudden, you have this big box you have to lift. Now you have the muscles to do it. Now you're able to because you are preparing. You are strong. And that's what he's saying. If you see Hashem in everything, you talk to Hashem, you thank Hashem, you feel Hashem. If all of our life is Hashem, then when that time comes, we'll achieve the dveikas, we'll be empowered and we'll be strengthened to be able to withstand whatever comes our way. Questions, comments, rebuttals? Family that lost his seven children in the fire. Yeah. Oh. He wasn't for a shot, he would never... Yeah, he talks about that, oh. right? Yeah. Did the man who missed the plane get back in time for Shabbos? He uh, he was in Fort Lauderdale and he got home at 11 p.m. He had a hat there called the big post. They told him they could take that. a non-Jewish care. I thought about that. I was going to the From airport. People. There was yeah. a rabbi, Kaplan. Kaplan. Rabbi yeah, Kaplan. Yeah, Rabbi Kaplan. a wonderful rabbi. I thought about the Shomer Shabbos people that couldn't leave the airport. Yes. And I was wondering whether you're allowed to do that. The subtle difference between Aruna and Bitar. Yeah, so if you go back, I think this is the 35th, the 36th class. If you go back to the first and second and third, we talked about a little bit that. You can listen to them all online. 
we are using the term emuna really incorrectly, but it's become used in this way. Emuna is the belief that there's a creator of the universe, that there is an origin, a cause of all that exists. Bitachon is the affirmation that he interacts with us. So emuna is the knowledge that he created the world, but one can have emuna that he created the world and struggle with bitachon, that he is involved in my life. Emunah is the knowledge he created the world, bitachon is that he runs everything. We use them somewhat interchangeably, but that's the, the textbook definitions of each. All right, everyone have a great week. Thank you, Rabbi.